Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul's going to reveal his heart in this letter, and you're going to see the close relationship between Paul, the founder of this church, and the believers at Corinth. This community of faith that was started by Paul, you can read about this in Acts chapter 18. Read about this time that he spent a year and a half in Corinth and see how this beautiful community of faith developed. There was opposition. There was many obstacles to get over as he was in that city. If you read in his first letter, he was with them in fear and in trembling and with weakness. But God used him and the power of God used Paul in order to bring the gospel to the city of Corinth. And we're going to see a special relationship between the founder, the apostle, and we're going to see between him and this congregation. It's really going to come out in this chapter. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Alan is here with me today, so we're going to be discussing this chapter. When you look at verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. To look at the things that are committed against God in a bad way in the flesh and what is going on inside of us as well in the spirit. There is an element within Hellenistic worldview that separates the flesh and the spirit that said flesh was evil and spirit was good. But here Paul is saying to them, that there, are, there is defilement that takes place in our spirit and also in our flesh, and that we need to cleanse ourselves from this defilement that we see in our physical bodies and the flesh and the things that are going on within inside of us in the spirit. Cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, when we look at the fear of God, we are called to live a holy life before God. We are made holy through Christ, by His grace, through faith in Christ. I am perfected, I am completed, and I stand complete in Christ. And now there is a life of holiness that needs to be lived. And in an ongoing way, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It is the fear of God, the honor of God, the reverence of God that really is perfecting holiness in the way that we live before God. So fear is not a fear here that runs away from God. It is a fear that comes to God with honor and respect and in reverence to know that this is the character of God. And as a child of God, I want to live a life of fear towards him, of honor, respect, and giving praise unto him. I'm living my life not for myself, but I'm living my life in the fear of God. Let's go on to verse 2. Alan, if you don't mind reading verses 2 through 4. Verse 2. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. 
I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with all comfort and all affliction. I am overflowing with joy. When we look at this, and I believe Alan's reading from the English Standard Version, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard here, saying the same thing but sometimes expressed in different ways. When we look at verses 2, 3, and 4, you see this great love and affection that Paul has for the Corinthians and the Corinthians have for him as well. He says to them, make room in your hearts for us. When we were with you, he's speaking about previous times with them. We wronged no one. We did not corrupt anyone. We did not take advantage of anyone while we were there ministering the gospel in Corinth. Paul was always very careful to do things in a way that honors God that fears God. Remember the previous verse, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he's always doing things in a way that honors God, that brings praise to God, and then has an accountability, an accountability with the people that he's ministering to. Many times he refused to take an offering. He refused to ask for money from the people that he was ministering to, even though they should have taken care of him. But he did not take advantage of anyone in Corinth. So make room in your hearts for us. He says in verse 3, I do not speak to condemn you. He's not coming from a condemning point of view. For I have said before that you are in our hearts. The Corinthians, their relationship, their love, who they are, lives within the hearts of Paul and the people that he ministers with. And he says to them, to die together and to live together. Now, Alan, think about that phrase. It so represents Paul's teachings. When one mourns, we all mourn. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Here, he sees the body of Christ as one, as a family. When one is down, we're all down. And when one is lifted up, we are all being lifted up. And here he says that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. We're in this together. Whatever the situation, if we're going through persecution and people are being killed for their faith, we're going to do it together. You're in our hearts and we're going to live together. And if we're going to live, let's do something for the glory of God. Yeah, you know, kind of flowing out of chapter 6, turn back there. Well, actually the beginning of the chapter where he's talking about the beatings, the imprisonments, you know, all the things that he has done, you know, sort of coming against these false teachers that have risen up in Corinthians. You know, this is a continuation of that where you really see how much he does care about them. And he's, he's showing it to them, not only showing it to them, but writing to them in this way to really just try to ingrain that into them. So you can see that he really wants them to know we've done this in action. This isn't just words that we're saying to you just to say it as some others might have been in the church at Corinth then. And yeah, he's just really saying, open our open your heart to us because we're, we're proving it to you, not only by actions. We're not wronging you. We don't want to condemn you. Everything that we're writing or doing or saying is, is for your benefit and to edify and to build you up because he loves them. And that's, that's powerful. And you can, can see it, and you can see it by his actions too, which to me is even more powerful. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up about the false teachers. Later on, he's going to call them false apostles. There's an internal struggle that is going on that Paul is being attacked. And we have seen it earlier. When he came and dealt with the situation in chapter 2, the majority stood with him. 
And just because you have a majority doesn't mean that there's not division within this community of faith. So there are still people that are in this church that are attacking Paul, that are not agreeing with him. He is the founder of this congregation, but he constantly is going back to the beginning, how they started, their testimony and their witness among them, the affection and the relationship between the Corinthian believers and Paul. He says in verse 4, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. This is a spiritual father that was very proud of the Corinthian believers, really boasted of them. And it's like a father with their son, of looking at a son, and you know how proud you are of that child. In the same way, Paul is very proud of this congregation. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. So everything that they've gone through, everything that happened to bring the gospel to the Corinthians now, there is such a relationship that is from the heart. We live together. We die together. He boasts of them. He has confidence in them. There is comfort. He says, I am filled with comfort and I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Everything that we've gone through together as the body of Christ you can see the special relationship. And at the same time, there is an internal battle going on for leading the church at Corinth in the right direction. There are some that he's going to speak about later on in chapters 10 through 13 about false apostles, ones that are still attacking him, some that are slapping people in the face to keep them under their control. So, this is probably a large community of faith. There's many people trying to speak, many people trying to have influence, and there is an internal struggle that is going on. However, this relationship that started from the beginning is something that is supernatural that's within their hearts, but it is a spiritual battle. In verses, starting in verse 5, let's continue what Paul is saying. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. I want to stop there because... Here we see Paul is writing this letter from Macedonia. He's in Macedonia. I believe this is the third letter that he is writing to the Corinthians. And he's afflicted on every side. There's conflicts from without. That's persecution that is coming from outside of the community of faith. But there's fears within. And a person today may say, what do you mean, Paul having fear? And yes, there were times in which Paul has fear. Now, later on, Paul's going to write to Timothy and say, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. He's writing that because he's gone through fear before. He understands what it means to have fear. In fact, if you'll read Acts chapter 18 and you go back to the first letters, I believe it's chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I was with you in fear and in trembling. And in Acts chapter 18, God spoke to him in a vision and says, do not be afraid any longer. Keep on speaking for I am with you and I have many people within this city. 
So there was a time in which he had fear in his life in Corinth. Now he's in Macedonia. There's attacks from the outside, and that causes fear within. And he understands what it means to be fearful. But he also knows that that doesn't come from God. And Alan, every time that I've been fearful, I need to recognize that's not the Spirit of God. God does not give us a spirit of fear. And then if I try to make judgments off of fear, I tend to always make the wrong judgment. Here he had fear, but not just fear, but depression. And I want you to see this in verse 6. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us. So what he is saying is that we had fear from within and we were in depression. And I believe one of the reasons why they were in depression is that you come through a lot of persecution and you get beat up physically from the outside and you start internalizing that with fear. And they didn't know where Titus was because they didn't find him at Troas. And here's one of the most important pieces of the puzzle in the ministry of Paul. These individuals that they're ministering together, and then when Titus comes, they are comforted by the coming of Titus. Here, they're probably in depression. They're fearful of the future. They're looking at the situation, not knowing what's going on in Corinth. Is Corinth going to fall apart? And everything that they did for a year and a half and this spiritual battle that's going on, there's fear, there's depression, but all of a sudden, Titus shows up in Macedonia. And there started to be a release of that within their own spirit. I think we talked about that a little bit before um, offline, but... You know, that would be like if, remember a time when there were no cell phones or phones or anything, and say we went over to Israel to minister. All of a sudden, you couldn't find, I couldn't find Scott. You don't know we got to leave, we have to go here. We have no idea what happened, and you just had, you know, they had to move on to Macedonia to do ministry, and, you know, they couldn't find him. And that would have to be a really struggling thought to have. You know, they don't know if he was killed, persecuted, nobody heard from him. So, yeah, you can imagine the, the trouble that that caused Paul and that whole group of people that was with him you know another thing that stands out and really in this whole letter is that you know you look at the Corinthian church and you know how strong it was in a lot of ways and and what a testimony it was for that part of the world but it did not get built without a cost and did not get built without hardships that Paul faced and I think you know you you think about some you know the idea now in our our culture that everything's easy doors are just going to open up and you know if there's opposition well that must not be from god you could hear some people say that you know it's just why are all these doors getting shut you know sometimes there is a battle and i think paul's life and testimony and especially with the corinthian church kind of puts that into perspective here's a church that's questioning his authority, his apostleship, saying, you don't really care about me, when he was the one person in the world at the time that probably really did love them with all his heart, really cared about their spiritual growth and was their father, you know, sort of like a father. Cares spiritual about, father. Yeah, cares about his son. And you can imagine as a father, a mother, a parent, you're doing everything for your son, your daughter, whoever it is, and they just say, well, you don't love me, you don't care, I don't trust you anymore, I don't believe you. You know, so he's going through all this. And just and that's outside of getting beat and getting persecuted, you know, by the Jews and whoever else was coming against him at that time. It really was a battle. He fought spiritually, physically, you know, and mentally. Talking here about depression, so didn't come without a cost to him. But you can see the fruit of it and how much when he did persevere, his ministry and what came out of that. Yes, if in that day and time you go to Troas, you think Titus is there and he's not there. You do not know if he's alive are dead. 
and you don't really know what's going on. You had to receive reports from an individual or a letter. And when Titus shows up in Macedonia, not only just seeing his face, how that could have lifted their spirits that, praise God, Titus is alive. But at the same time, he's bringing a good report of their longing for them, their mourning over the situation of what happened, and then also their zeal for Paul and the team that is ministering with him, so that I even rejoice more. It wasn't just in St. Titus, but he's bringing a report from Corinth. He's coming from Corinth and saying, they're doing well. They are repenting. They're mourning. They have a zeal for you, Paul. They're listening to the Word of God. They're listening to what you are saying, and how that would have brought such joy within Paul's life, because the most important thing is how the Corinthian church is doing spiritually. That's even greater than the persecution they are going through and what he's going through, because they're in his heart to the point he's saying, we're going to live together, we're going to die together. We are a family, the family of God. Let's continue. Let's read verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, and I'm going to stop there, which letter? Some people believe that there is a letter that is sent between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And they speak of four letters. There's one that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that previously he sent to them about not associating with people of immorality. Then there's 1 Corinthians, which would have been the second letter. And now we have 2 Corinthians, which is the third letter, or some say the fourth letter. I believe 2 Corinthians is the third letter. And what we're dealing with is this situation in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that it caused such sorrow, it caused such conflict within the church. Every time that you have to excommunicate and put someone out of the community of faith, it's going to cause conflict and division, and people are not going to agree. But remember, Paul is the apostle. He founded this church. He has the spiritual authority to speak to them of what to do and not to do. And he was saying, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole batch. You must put this man out. And so I believe that we're dealing with 1 Corinthians when he said, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. It had to be done. It had to be sent to them, and something had to be done about this situation. Yeah, and I think... Part of his joy, too, is when Titus returns and tells them that they've accepted this and that they're doing well. I mean, you think about Paul writing that letter. He knows that was a hard letter to write, and he talks about that, and then you can second-guess yourself, and I'm, I'm sure you know, we can assume Paul might have done that. Did I, was I too hard? Did I not say it the right way? Are they just going to totally you know, reject this and, and go their own way? So all these kind of thoughts by not hearing anything. And then when he sees Titus come back, and Titus is reporting that they love him, their their zeal, they're correcting this. I mean, that had to be a powerful moment in Paul's life to just almost be reassured that he did write the right thing, and that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what he wrote was the right thing to do. Because that was a that was a tough thing to say if you he loved somebody, but he knew he had to. And then him seeing that, and now he talks about he didn't regret it. He didn't regret it, and people think he's contradicting himself because he says then, I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. And it's not a contradiction because when I disciplined my children when they were young, I know I had to do it, and I don't regret it. But at the same time, I regret it. 
It's not a contradiction. It's two emotions working at the same time. You know it has to be done, but you see the sorrow. And when you see your little girl or your little boy with tears in their eyes because they got disciplined, there is discomfort, there is sorrow. Why did I have to do that? So it's a conflict of emotions that is going on, even though he knows that it had to be done. But what is it going to produce? What did it produce? And you already see a glimpse of that with Titus coming back and saying that they're mourning and they have a zeal for you, Paul. So then I even rejoice more. But let's go into a little bit more detail. Verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. The church had to repent. In fact, in chapter 5 of the first letter, he calls them arrogant and boastful because they weren't dealing with the sin that was going on within the community of faith. So there needed to be repentance, and this sorrow from the letter that brought about sorrow produced repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. It is the will of God to always bring us to a point of repentance if there is sin that is involved? so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. And so this sorrow, this godly sorrow from this letter is producing a repentance. God, I'm sorry, Lord, let this be dealt with in the way that you want it to be dealt with. Let's go to verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Anytime you and I, Alan, have done what is wrong and we have been convicted of that sin and we repent of it and we turn our eyes back on God and say, God, forgive us of that, there's not a regret involved in that. In fact, there's a cleansing and there's a releasing of that and there's a relationship that is built with God that's based upon repentance that is something that is good. It doesn't produce sorrow that is a lasting sorrow. It is the sorrow that brought about godly repentance and there's not regret that is involved. And we see that in every time when there is repentance. Leading to salvation. People say, what do you mean leading to salvation? If they had not dealt with this with repentance, this was an issue of salvation for the whole community of faith. If they would have allowed this sin to go on, it would have destroyed the faith within the Corinthian church. So leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly sorrow or sorrow of the world produces death. It just has a guilty feeling and you feel bad for a little bit and then you have regret and you go back doing the same thing over and over and over again. And what does that produce? Death, separation from God. But repentance does not have regret. Repentance has a releasing unto God that we've done the right thing, and God, we are here to honor you, being perfected in holiness in the fear of God, going back to the very beginning of this chapter. So we see a difference between the two. And please, if you're listening, know the difference between the two. If it's true repentance, it's because you have hurt the heart of God, and you have not been fearing God and honoring God. True repentance, godly repentance, will honor God, and there's not any regret. But if it's worldly sorrow, 
you may have a bad feeling for a moment, and then once it's over with, you go right back to it once that feeling is gone, and it produces death. One leads to salvation, one leads to death. And we need to know the difference. Verse 11, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves. There was a vindication of themselves. What indignation. There was a godly anger of what took place. What fear. I think it's talking about the fear of the Lord. What longing. What zeal. What avenging of wrong. We saw that they did the right thing and they allowed God to, the process of God to deal with it to take place. And then look at the statement, in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So the things mentioned previously were things that were done in the right way. So the indignation was a godly indignation. The fear, the fear of the Lord. What longing, uh, longing for the Lord. What zeal, zeal for the Lord. What avenging of wrong, that they were making right the things that were wrong. Somebody was sleeping. A son was sleeping with his father's wife. It was going on in the church. The church knew about it, and it wasn't being dealt with. This had to be dealt with. And then he says, in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. He wrote to them so that they would do the right thing. And it was about them honoring the word of God, doing what is right, respecting the instructions of what Paul and the others were saying that would produce the right thing that would actually get rid of the leaven and with the possibility of that individual or individuals coming back to the faith. And I think we see in this second chapter, that's exactly what took place. And the majority stood with him, and it produced conflict, but now it's a time to forgive. Now it's a time to comfort. And we see a glimpse that these individual or this individual did come back to repentance. But it was written for the church's sake that they would do what was right. Now in verse 13, for this reason we have been comforted because they did what was right. They had a godly sorrow that led to repentance. There wasn't any regret and God is being honored and the character of God is being demonstrated through the life of the Corinthian church. For this reason we have been comforted. Verse 13, and besides our comfort, we rejoice even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So Titus is a witness of how they're doing after this letter, after this event, after this excommunication of this individual, of the majority standing with Paul and this coming together. There are still leaders within this church that are causing issues, yes. But the majority of the church, their faith has grown through this situation. And Titus is bringing this report, and he's refreshed by you all as well. They really ministered to Titus. Now, who is Titus? He's a co-worker, an associate of Paul. So the way that they treat Titus is a reflection of their relationship with Paul. And I like going back to, to verse 12 where he says, 
your earnestness for us would be revealed to you in the sight of God. So it's almost they needed to see that they, yeah, they, they had this leaven in the batch, this sin that they let in, they were arrogant and boastful, but this godly sorrow produced this repentance and they made the change they saw that they would do that they saw that they would listen to paul's correction through that first letter and they obeyed it you know and sometimes you know we need to see that in our own lives that yes we will make mistakes and get on the wrong path but scott speaks something into my life that's from god and you need to stop this and i do it that's a powerful thing to say you know you can hear from god and you can hear from the spirit and listen and have that godly sorrow and the fear of the lord in your heart and repent and they saw that they 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 made the turn and made it the right way so not only did that comfort them to see that they're back on the right track that they got through this but then of course that's going to comfort paul just everyone you know one with that and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see how this hard letter in first corinthians pushed them to get there but when they saw it, they turned and they repented. You know, the majority did, and, and this church got back on track. So now they see that they were off, but they know that they can listen and hear the voice of God, and they just weren't hard-hearted. And they see God's love and grace and mercy and all of these things through that. And so that's comforting Paul as well, and that's pretty yeah. And pretty the powerful. relationship is getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you really mad, yeah. <laughs> but it'll set you free. And, and sometimes when the discipline takes place, it does cause sorrow. It does cause temporary division. But on the long run, if it honors God and it's done in the sight of God in, in order to honor Him, those that repent and submit, the relationship gets stronger and stronger. And between Paul and the Corinthian believers, it's getting stronger and stronger for those that are agreeing with Paul. Now, at the end of this letter, we're going to see that this spiritual battle is still going on for the right to speak, the right to have authority over the Corinthians. But I agree with you fully, Alan, that this relationship is getting stronger and stronger, even though hard things had to be done. When we go to verse 14... For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. So through this whole process of conflict, Paul is saying to Titus, the Corinthian believers are strong believers. They have a strong faith. He's boasting about the Corinthians to Titus. Let me read this again. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. So the reality of their real walk with the Lord and their true faith and the relationship with Paul stood this testing that went forth. Yeah, and you can imagine Titus, you know, working closely with Paul. We can assume that he knew what was going on in the Corinthian church around the time Paul was writing that letter of 1 Corinthians, the second letter. So when he's going there, he's probably in his mind, wow, did they, are they going to get it right? Is Are they going to listen? And thinking that on his trip there, and when, then when he gets there, you know, how refreshing and how powerful is that even to Titus to see the change in their heart and to see the repentance. And Titus can look and back in the work he's doing with Paul and just see God move in that and just be so blessed by, you know, that was a dicey letter he had to write. That was a big issue, like you said, that could have destroyed the whole church, their their salvation was at stake. This whole area of Corinth was at stake, the testimony of that church. And then for Titus to come there and see that it's back on track, that they love Paul, that they love him, and that all these things that Paul had boasted about um, are true, and Paul knew it, and he was telling him it, and just to see it in person, it's just, I mean, how powerful is that? Yes. 
Yes, in his verse 15, to go with what you're saying, his affection abounds all the more towards you. As he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. And again, this fear and trembling is not in a bad context. I believe it's in the context with honor and respect for what was coming from Paul. And trembling, yes, because these were hard things that had to be dealt with. But the relationship is strong between the majority of the believers in this church and Paul and Titus and others. Paul and Titus are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of the Messiah. However, Titus is also an ambassador of Paul to the Corinthians. They're both under the headship of Christ. However, Paul founded this church. He's the apostle and he's going to represent Paul as he goes there. They're in unity. Now will the church in Corinth be in unity with Titus and Titus with Paul? And we see that unity across the board here. And so there's a coming together. And he says in verse 16, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. And again, the context here is the majority. It's not everybody in Corinth. It's not, it doesn't mean that all the issues have been settled and that Paul has just complete ability to speak into their lives to everyone in Corinth. No, because when we get to chapters 10 through 13, there is still this spiritual battle that's going on. Now, some have tried to say chapters 10 through 13 is actually that third letter that goes in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and it was added on after chapter 9. There's not anything in all of the early church fathers, all, all early church history, or even the unity of the letter itself that would begin to suggest that. That's more of modern scholarship of trying to say, okay, if everything is okay, then why do we have chapters 10 through 13? You still see the spiritual battle going on. But if you go back to chapter 2, the majority stood with Paul. And we don't even know how many believers are in Corinth at this time, but it's probably a large community of faith. And in any community of faith with hundreds or thousands of believers, you're going to have different people within that congregation that have influence and that are speaking and have developed some type of a leadership or a following within the larger group. I believe that's what we're dealing with in chapters 10 through 13. Paul's going to call them false apostles. Paul's not going to recognize them and their ability to uh, speak to the church. And there's a conflict between them and Paul and what Paul did in his in 1 Corinthians and the apostolic authority he had to do it. He had that authority to do it, to kick the man out of the church. And the letter that he wrote and dealing with all the problems and all the situations, some of the leaders probably were not happy with it. And if they're not willing to repent, they're going to get more angry and strong and stand up against Paul's authority. That's what we're dealing with in chapters 10 through 13. But at the end of chapter 7, we're seeing everything's okay, that the believers in Corinth are standing with Paul. Does that mean every one of them? No. Does that mean he doesn't have any conflict? No. What it means is that the majority of the believers are repenting, They had godly sorrow that led to repentance. There's not any regret. They've dealt with the situation, and they're standing in unity. And Titus is bringing this report back to Paul. And Paul says, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence 
in you. Oh, it's, it's powerful. And if you go back to verse 2 where he talks about, you know, I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. Um, I'm overflowing with joy. And you almost see this as Paul saying, you've gotten through this really big issue that we've dealt with. And he, he know, you know, Paul being an apostle and divinely led by the Holy Spirit, you know, he knew what the big issue was and that, that what they had to deal with in their heart and were they going to repent or not and, you know, and, and writing that hard letter. And now he sees through Titus and the reports that they've gotten through that. And yes, you see in chapters 10 through 13, there's going to be some other issues. But Paul, you know, knows that they have taken care of this thing and they have repented and they're turning in the right track. So, yes, you might have these other false teachers in there. and, and But he just kind of knows that's par for the course on, yes. you know, this church, that it's going to be there. But you've taken care of this arrogance. You've taken care of this boastfulness. You've got your heart right. And these other things, yeah, I'm going to address them because I have to. But he knows they've made it over this really big spiritual hurdle and this really big battle that he had to fight for quite some time. And it's still going on. And I think you meant verse 4. Great is my confidence yes, in you. Sorry, verse 4. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Yes, it's coming together. So he saw that whatever happened in their heart with this godly sorrow and this repentance in the spirit, he can see that they've made the right choice and they fought this big battle. So that's why he can say, I have complete confidence because you've gotten through this. Yeah, here's some other things that we have to work through, but now he has the confidence because they did listen to the spirit. And they did repent. They did have that godly sorrow. So, yeah, you can almost see this relief here. And now, of course, he has to go into the other things to deal with, but he knows this one really big thing about their salvation really about that whole church the whole city the foundation of it you know they've corrected that and right. they're 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 heading in the right direction now they're gonna have to deal with some things but they're right back on the right track as a church as a whole right and in chapters eight and nine he's going to deal with this offering that we'll get to in our next podcast this offering of taking up an offering not for themselves but for the suffering Jewish believers back in Jerusalem and Judea that's gone through a famine, lots of persecution. And he has a right to speak to that. And it started in Corinth, went to Macedonia, and now he's coming under a little bit of opposition, probably by these same leaders, about taking up this offering. He's just really going to encourage them to do this and to do it in the right way, to have accountability and let's minister to the believers back in the mother church, Jerusalem, Judea, that started this whole process of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Let's end with a word of prayer. And then one last thought, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, anything worthwhile does not come easily. And when we're fighting a battle, if we're on a team in sports, we have to train. We have to go through a lot. We have to practice. There's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of injuries. But you're running that race to get to the finish line. The same way in this spiritual battle that's going out, there's conflict from without. There's fears from within. Sometimes it produces depression. That's just being honest before God because sometimes even as believers, we have this that takes place because of things that are going on. But we pull together, we pray, we fast, we seek the will of God, we get into God's Word and study God's Word and get built up within the faith. And there is a process that takes place, and it's a journey that we are on. And Paul's ministry is going to last about 30 years, and it's a journey. There's ups, there's downs, but he could really say to them, we live together, we die together. 
it's a relationship. It's a process spiritually that has taken place, and, and it's not going to be easy. But you have to keep your eyes on the Lord and understand that at the end of your life, you need to say, I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. We have run this race, and we are coming to the end, and it was all worth it. And this is Paul's whole life. He's fighting for the Corinthians. He's speaking truth into their life. It's causing some sorrow, some conflict, some internal struggles, but it produced godly sorrow that brought them to repentance without regret. And now it's building the relationship between the founder and the people that came to faith through his ministry. And it's in the heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to look into your word. Thank you, God, that we can, as believers, when we get off track and we're not going the right direction, either as an individual or as a church, God, that you can bring us back to the point that we need to be in our own lives. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we will always be in step of what you're speaking to us, that we will always be guided by your word. And the Spirit of God that indwells us will produce fruit for your kingdom. God, that is our prayer and that is our hope. And Heavenly Father, let us run the race. Let us finish the course, O Heavenly Father, that you have put before us. And Lord, let us be perfecting in holiness and the fear of you, God. Let us have that perfecting of holiness within our own lives. Lord, keep us in the center of your will. Create in us whatever you want to create for your name's sake. And God, give us a great testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.